Come on in. If you uh, would like a handout for this morning and did not get one, if you'll raise your hands and uh, one of our ushers will come bring it to you. We've got a couple of guys that like some of these, so... If you are interested in, I had a conversation with a couple of people this last week, um, wanting to get the handouts from the previous sessions. If you would like that, please let me know and I can get those to you at some point. We've got a couple over here as well. Uh, and then also, if you missed any of the classes, we are, we're putting them on YouTube at our YouTube channel. So if you want to go back and watch or if you, you missed any of those, you want to catch up on uh, some of these sessions, you can see it there. Um, but if you'll take your Bibles this morning and turn to 2 Corinthians 3, 2 Corinthians 3, and um, what, what we're going to do is we're going to take the next two weeks as we uh, wind down our series, uh, we're going to take the next two weeks to look into this verse, so we'll see how far we get today. Um, but the handout for today is going to cover uh, the next two weeks, so you'll want to bring that back with you next week. All right, so uh, just a little bit of review as we get into this. Uh, again, our study this summer on understanding biblical change is uh, we're recognizing that this is the reality of the Christian life, the journey of the Christian life, is that when God saves us by his grace, he begins changing us. And so the journey of the Christian life is becoming less of who we once were and more of who he has declared us to be in Christ. That, that's the process. And, you know, for most of us, it's like, you know, we kind of like up and down and up and down. But by his grace, he's transforming us. We're becoming less of the one that we once were, more of the one he's declared us to be in Christ. And one day that'll be fully realized in glory. But how does it take place right now? That's what we're talking about. How does this change happen? And Paul, we began by looking in uh, the book of Colossians, and Paul reminded us in uh, chapters 2 and 3 of Colossians, we kind of are summarizing it this way, that genuine spiritual growth, it's rooted in the gospel, in understanding the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the fact that you're united to him by faith. And so that union is lived out with him in daily repentance and faith. And uh, that daily repentance and faith is described for us in Colossians 3 in terms of putting off, being renewed, and putting on. Ephesians chapter 4 also kind of follows this pattern. Putting off the ways of the old man, the person that you were before Christ, having your mind renewed, Colossians 3.10, in the knowledge of God, and then putting on the ways of the new creation to be more like Jesus Christ. And so what we're, what we're doing using this illustration of this tree is we're, we're kind of seeing that if we're going to see true change take place, then we can't just deal with our behavior, which is a lot of times where, uh, where Christians mess up. We just kind of start dealing with the externals and the things that we do and the things that we say, and then we get into behaviorism or moralism, and we just try to change the way we act. But we have to get down to the root if we're going to see true change. And so we've been looking at it by first of all recognizing we have to identify the sinful actions. Where is my life departing from the life of Christ in me? And I need to take an objective look at the word of God and find out where the sinful actions are and I need to confess and forsake those. 
But what we've learned is that those sinful actions, those words, those habits, those reactions, they didn't just come from nowhere. They came from something deeper. And uh, what we said is that under every behavioral sin is really the sin of idolatry. And so what we've said is that you do what you do and you say what you say because you love what you love. There are idolatrous desires that are at work in our hearts pulling our affections away from Christ and more toward ourself and that's where the sinful actions are coming from. But what we found out is that not only do we need to identify where our affections are drawn away from Christ and more toward ourself and the world, but we need to go down a little bit deeper into the very root system of our hearts. Because we said that under every act of idolatry is ultimately the sin of unbelief. Because you do what you do and you say what you say because you love what you love and you love what you love because you believe what you believe about God and his word. And uh, this is really the fundamental issue of our life is what do you really know and believe to be true about God? Because the truth of who God is and what he is like is the one constant. It will never change. And in every choice of life, you will either embrace what is always true about God and rejoice in that, or you're going to reject that and follow after your flesh. That is how we're operating all throughout the day. You're you're making choices of who's wise enough, who's strong enough, who should be in charge, who should be calling the shots. And often we follow after our own self instead of God. We, We don't see that transformation that we want because we... We just don't believe God. Remember, we're not talking confessional belief. We're talking functional belief. And and we don't live in belief where we trust and we rejoice in who God is and what he is like. Because we haven't really taken the time to get to know him. It's really hard to trust and love and believe someone that you haven't spent a lot of time with. And so what happens by default is we end up believing and trusting the one that we do know the best. Ourself. And we lean to our own understanding instead of acknowledging him in all of our ways. And then we go after our own path and our, our, our affections start following our, the world and ourselves and it comes out in the sinful fruit in our life. You follow it all the way down to your belief system of who you know and who you trust. So if I'm going to see true change at every choice in my life and lean not to my own understanding but acknowledge him, then I need to get to know God. And so what we're going to see over the next couple weeks is this true belief and this love for God will only come as we spend much time getting to know God. Now, again, that, is, that might sound really simplistic, but it, simple is not the same as easy. But this is the journey of the Christian life, is getting to know and trust and love God more and more. And true belief and love for God is only going to come as you spend much time getting to know him. A.W. Tozier called it the knowledge of the holy. Uh, John Piper refers to it as seeing and savoring Christ. Uh, We're going to look at 2 Corinthians 3.18 and we're just going to call it beholding his glory. And what it is is simply it's having your view of God strengthened and your affections aligned with Christ by devoting much time to see the beauty of God in his word. So let's look at 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18. And this is the verse that we're just going to try to work through over the next couple weeks. 
Paul says this, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So when we talk about beholding the glory of God in his word and getting to know him in this way, I, I want us to, let me, just, let me just say, what am I not talking about? I am not saying, or I'm not talking about just doing your devotions. Like, that's a pretty popular Christian phrase, right? Did you do your devotions? Like, did you mow the lawn? I mean, it's, it's like a checklist type of a thing for you. It's not, so it's not doing your devotions. It's not academic, like study, study, study. It's not ritualistic. You know, a chapter a day keeps the devil away. Um, it's not guilt-driven. I got to do this in order to be a good Christian. What we're talking about when we talk about beholding the glory of God is this is just the, the root level of your life of investing time to grow in your relationship with God. You're taking the time to open his word and allowing him to speak of himself and reveal himself to you so that every choice in life you trust him the most because you know him so well. It's, it's developing a relationship with God. How do you grow in your relationship with your spouse? You spend time with them. You talk with them. You listen to them. This is what growing in your relationship with God and beholding him in his word is that. You're just taking the time to listen to him speak of himself and reveal himself in his word. So, so what I'm going to say, though, in this is this is much more than just reading your Bible. Now, it's not any less than reading your Bible. <laughs> you, you need to do that. But it's much more than reading your Bible. And what we're going to see over the next couple of weeks is, is this little e- equation in, in 2 Corinthians 3.18. Meditation plus illumination equals transformation. And what we'll find is that meditation is my part. Illumination is the Spirit's job, and he transforms us. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the other. This comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. As we meditate and the Spirit illuminates, there is real transformation in the root system of our heart. So so think of it this way. Um, If you want to get a tan... You can't just sit on your couch in the living room and think thoughts of the sun. And, right, you you can't just sit there and desire to be tan. The only way you're going to get a tan is what? You have to go expose yourself to the sun outside. If you don't do that, there will not be any real tan. You might spray something on or rub something on, but it's not real. You can't... You can't do that unless you get into the sun. But here's the point. You, in and of yourself, can't make yourself get a tan. Only the sun has the power to change the pigmentation of your skin. Your part is just get into the sun. And that's what we're talking about here when we get into 2 Corinthians 3.18. That as a Christian, only God can transform you and conform you into the image of his son. 
Your part is simply expose yourself to the glory of God in his word. If you don't expose yourself to the glory of God in his word, don't expect to see transformation in your life. So uh, this is what 2 Corinthians 3.18 is all about. So we're just going to walk through uh, some of these um, things and talk about this passage and see how it works in this idea of meditation and illumination and transformation. And we all with unveiled face. Let's just look at that first phrase. This is in contrast as opposed to the people in verses uh, 14 and 15. So if you go back up in the chapter, you'll see that uh, Paul says, but their minds were hardened for to this day when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ it is taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. So what Paul is addressing here is that when it comes to the realities of the gospel and the unfolding plan of God in the new covenant revealed to us, he's talking about there's a group of people, they just didn't get it. They didn't see the realities of the Messiah. It's as if, Paul says, they had a blindfold on. And when they saw all these things in the old covenant, they just didn't get what God was doing. But we all, according to verse 16, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Okay, so, so who, the ones with unveiled face are the ones that have turned to the Lord as opposed to the ones who have not turned to him yet. In other words, until a person turns to Christ, the, the blinders are still on. You can read the scriptures and you can even understand some of them, but you don't see the reality of the gospel to where it changes you. But when you turn to the Lord, the veil is removed. And so in salvation, God opens your eyes to understand who Jesus is and why he died and the significance of the resurrection and what it means for you. So now as a Christian here, you can open your Bible and even though you might not understand everything in it perfectly, you are beginning to comprehend the realities of scripture and the work of God because you have come to know Jesus. He's pulled the blinders off and you can understand these things now because of the spirit of God. And in knowing Jesus, this verse tells us that because the blinders are removed, you can see his glory in his word. He begins to change you more and more. Now notice how this change takes place. Those that have had the blinders removed, the veil has been taken off He says this, that we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord. This idea of beholding is staring intently and continuously. Some of your translations may actually say beholding as in a glass. Going back to the mirrors of the day, in that time period, they they were just small pieces of metal or brass that were polished really, really good, but it wasn't like the mirrors that we have. You know, you can, you kind of see yourself from a distance in there and it's a very clear image, but in a polished piece of metal or glass, it wasn't that clear. So to get a look at the image that was, that, that was in that mirror, you had to get up and close and personal. You had to stare pretty intently to figure out, okay, what's going on in there? You couldn't just stand back from a polished piece of metal and see the reflection very clearly. This was an up-close, in-person kind of a look. And, and it wasn't just a casual glance, right? Beholding is not just kind of, oh, that's nice, and keep walking on. Um, you can maybe think of it in terms of, uh, 
Things, think of a, a senior in high school, a girl, getting ready for her senior pictures, right? She, she's not going to just walk by the mirror and take a quick glance and be like, yeah, I'm good with that, and just keep going. No, she's going to stand there and stare and gaze intently, looking at every little strand of hair, every little blemish, and making sure that it's all just right. Okay? You can think of it that way when we see beholding. It's up close, it's intentional, it's continuously gazing. This is personal meditation. And this meditation, this beholding the glory of God in his word is intentional. It doesn't happen on accident. And this beholding is continual. It doesn't just happen in passing every now and then. Beholding here is an intent, earnest, continual gazing into the word of God. Okay, so, so it's not like, okay, I need to get into the Word. It's been a long time since I've read my Bible. So maybe this afternoon I'll sit down and I'll read through the book of Hebrews. And then I should be good for the next week. No, that's not, that's not what we're talking about here. This is a purposeful, routine, intent gazing into the Word. But it's not just an issue of reading your Bible. It's an issue of beholding where you're gazing and meditating on it day and night. And I talk with some people, they say, I, I, I hear you talk about meditating on scripture, but I'm not really sure I know how to do that. And so I will say, do you know how to worry? Because if you know how to worry, you know how to meditate really good. That's what all worry is, is meditating. Worry, though, is you're meditating on what might be, but probably won't. Meditating on scripture is you're worried about truth. When you're worried, what are you doing? You're looking at all the possible situations and you're turning it over and around in your mind and you're gazing at it from every point till it drives you batty. So instead of worrying, why don't you meditate on scripture? Take, take this verse, for instance, and you just start looking at it from every angle. You're putting it into its context. You're thinking about it all day long going, what does that mean? Why did God put that here? And you're taking all sorts of mental energy to consider the realities of what you've read. Staring at it. Now, in, in your handout, I've given you um, sort of an insert <clears throat> that is uh, basically teaching you how to meditate. At least giving you some tools to start meditating. Um, I'm not going to take time to go through that. That You can <clears throat> use that on your own sometime, but just... How do you ask the right questions and how do you just get your mind engaged in beholding these things in the word? Now, when we say meditate, in fact, I think Brian mentioned this last week in the morning sermon, the the world thinks of meditation as just empty your mind, you know, but when we talk about meditating, actually the word of God tells us that meditating is filling your mind with truth and then you think on that truth. All day long, over and over again, you bring it up in your mind. In fact, the Old Testament word for meditate is like a cow chewing on its cud. It's like eating in the morning and burping it up all day long. You say, that's disgusting. Do it (laughs) with the word. (laughs) And you're just, you're chewing it all day long. Every day you're thinking about it. You're getting all the nutrients, so to speak, out of that thing. You're praying about it. 
You're talking with other people about it. It becomes a constant in your mind. So, so you read something in the word, or you hear something that is preached, and you know what it says, but you say, I'm going to make it a point to really anchor my thoughts in that. Maybe you write it down, and maybe you start to pray through it. Maybe you memorize some of those verses, and you talk about it, you think about it, considering why it's there, the significance of it, and you're begging God to help you to come to not just a mental understanding of it, but a life-changing understanding of it. So what is it that we are to be personally meditating and beholding in this intentional and continual way? Back to 2 Corinthians 3.18. We all with unveiled face beholding what? The glory of the Lord. Now we could spend the next several weeks discussing the glory of the Lord and what that is. But to simply say it this way, that the glory of God, it's the infinite perfections of who he is and what he is like. It's everything that makes God, God. It's what sets him apart from all other beings and all other realities as God alone. It's his glory. And that's what we are to be beholding intentionally, habitually consistently meditating on the wonders of who he is and what he is like. And what this passage reveals for us is that the scriptures are like a mirror, not reflecting us, but they're reflecting to us the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, it's significant to know in context here, Paul has just been talking about Moses who had been on the mountain and seen the glory of God and it, it made his face shine. In fact, it was such a drastic thing he had to cover his face with a veil. You, you remember that story in the Old Testament? And, and Moses is saying, God, I want to see your glory. And God says, you can't see the full light of my glory or it would kill you so I'm going to hide you in the rock here and I'm going to pass by and I'm going to let you see just a reflection of my glory and even just the reflection of God's glory radically altered Moses' countenance because if you were to see the pure light of the glory of God in our sinful humanness it would kill us So we come to the scriptures, and what we see beholding the glory of God, it's his reflected glories, the brightness of his glories. You could illustrate it this way. Think of a prism. You have the bright white light of the sun reflecting through this prism, and you see all the different colors of the rainbow in that. So you think of the pure light of the glory of God Think of the scriptures as this prism that reflects to us the beauties of his glory. And what are some of the glories of God that we see in scripture reflected to us? We talked about four of them last week. His attributes, his greatness and his holiness, his goodness and his love. When you read the word of God, you're looking at this prism of the white light of God's glory being reflected to us in all these beautiful attributes of his love, of his holiness, of his mercy, of his justice, of his wrath, of his kindness. You see this wonderful spectrum of who God is and what he is like. And one day, 
we'll get to see the full weight of his glory face to face and it won't kill us, but it will transform us completely. First John 3. Listen, when, when we open the Bible, you're getting a reflection of who God is and what he is like. This is so important for us to understand. This is what the Bible is really all about. It's about God and learning who he is as he reveals himself to us in this way. The Bible is not just a bunch of Sunday school stories. It's not an encyclopedia of helpful ways for you to live. It's it's not a collection of inspirational statements just so you can make it through your day. It's not this little magic promise book. That's not what the Bible is. This is a record of who God is and what he is like revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And we are to gaze into this word and as one who has turned to the Lord, the blinder has been taken away so that you can see these glories in the face of Jesus Christ. And the spirit of God begins to make sense of these things for you. So read, meditate, memorize, Pray that the Spirit of God would more and more open your eyes to the beauty and the wonder of Jesus. Now I want you to see this, that even, even just the reflection of his glory is so powerful that as we behold it, something happens. We are being transformed. We're being transformed. It's a process. There is this continual transformation that is taking place as we are beholding these glories of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Do you, do you see how, as we're talking about real change, do you see how true biblical change is not an issue of stop doing bad things and start doing good things? That's not what the Bible presents to us. It's not an issue of being a better behaved person. It's about being transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word here, transformed, is metamorphosis. It's a total transformation of the real you. That's the power of beholding even the reflected glories of God. And notice how this change is described. You're being transformed into the same image. What image? The very image that you're beholding, the image of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, wasn't this God's plan from the very beginning? Think with me. You you know the story of your Bible, right? In the beginning, God creates man and woman in his image to reflect his glory. But what happened? Sin comes, we turn our back on God, and we fall short of the image of his glory. That's what sin does. It mars his image in us. But Jesus comes and God has been working from eternity past a plan to take those who are his and conform them back into the image of his son. That we would be to the praise of his glory. Listen, that conforming to the image of Jesus Christ doesn't happen because you follow some man-made religious system. It doesn't happen because you have really good self-discipline or you live with self-inflicted guilt to try to get over your sin. It doesn't happen by pursuing some mystical experience. No, it happens as we, with unveiled face, behold his glory in his word. He transforms us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. This is what renewing the mind is all about. 
Getting to know him and see him as he is. Spending time with him, interacting with him, seeking to know his heart and understand his mind. Get to get a sense of his purposes and his ways and his plans in this world. And as you grow in knowing your God more and more, what happens? The root system of your life deepens. Your faith and trust and love for God increases Your affections and your desires toward Christ grow and they're drawn toward him as you behold his glories in his word. This is why I would say to you, don't just read your Bible. Meditate. Behold. Intentionally, consistently think about and and view the wonders of who God is. Joshua 1 says this book of the law shouldn't depart out of your mouth, but you should meditate on it day and night. Psalm 1.3 talks about the one that's planted by the rivers of water and bringing forth fruit is one who meditates on the law, the truth, day and night. Now, I want you to see something in this. That in this whole verse, there's a lot going on that God has done. The unveiling of the face is an action that God did to us. The being transformed is something that God does for us. There's one responsibility that we have. Beholding. We must behold. God does the changing. We do the beholding. And when you think about this idea of beholding, this intentional commitment to gaze at, to meditate on continually. I don't know about you, but there are a thousand other things vying for my attention. There's a lot in this world that are, that's pulling on my affections. And at the end of the day, I don't have enough willpower to say no to all that stuff. There's only something that will help me turn from all that and that is when I get a glimpse of who God is I mean the the old songwriter was so right that when you turn your eyes on Jesus and you look full in his wonderful face the things of this world do grow strangely dim but those things aren't going to grow dim until you look full on his wonderful face beholding him in his word And there are all sorts of things calling you to look away from God and his glory. But if we are ever going to grow into Christ-likeness, we've got to get serious about being people of this book. Not just ones that read this book, but ones that meditate on it, beholding the realities of this book. So I'm going to put out there a challenge to our church once again that if you are not taking the time on a daily basis to open your Bible, read, or listen to the Bible, if you're not doing that routinely, daily, the transformation into Christ-likeness is going to be a very frustrating, seemingly insignificant process in your life. True meditation on the Word of God will not happen as a result of what's been called drive-by devotionals. (laughs) You just kind of take a shot at the word whenever you have a chance. Oh, yeah, that's a nice sign on that church's billboard. (laughs) 
<laughs> that's a drive-by devotional. That's not really gazing intently on those things, right? You can't be content. You can't be content with just reading a little paragraph and an inspirational story in some devotional booklet or a devotional email that gets sent to you and think that you're going to be changed into Christ-likeness. Beholding the glory of God is an issue of intentional, continual, get into the word of God. That takes time. To behold the glory of God in this way is a commitment of time. And I know, every single one of us, we're saying, I wish I had the time to do that more. I just don't have that much time. Well, you know what? You're right. You don't have that much time. You're super busy. So in order to get into the word, you know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to decide what you're not going to do so that you can get into the word. I'm not saying you need to add time to your already busy schedule. I'm saying you need to start thinking through your life and going, I'm, I'm really spending a lot of time in this and I haven't had any time to behold the glory of God in his word. So I'm going to get rid of this. It's not that it's bad or sinful, but it's certainly distracting me from the one needful thing. That I get to know God. Because until my mind is renewed in the realities of scripture, there will not be change taking place in my life in this way. So get into the word of God. Meditate on him throughout the day. And the promise is that as you behold the glory of the Lord intentionally, continually, you will be changed into that same image. And notice how he says it, from one degree of glory to another. This is the journey of the Christian life. From the very glory of being justified to the glory of being with him face to face. And we know that when we see him, we will be like him for we'll see him as he is. We will be completely transformed by the look of his glory. But for now, it's a process of renewal. It's not immediate. And it's not even radical. But it's constant. Where we daily get into this book We meditate on the word, we think about who God is, and the inner man is being renewed day by day. We're going to, we'll have to stop here for today. We'll get into the uh, next part of the verse next week, but can I just, can I just encourage you, ask God to grow your heart in this, that you would be more eager to learn of him, to understanding his word to to daily open this book with a commitment to know Christ, to learn more of him, of who he is and what he is like, to have your mind renewed. This is where transformation is really, really rooted. So at every choice of life, you're going to either embrace the truth of God and rejoice in it, or you're gonna reject it and follow your flesh. But really, that is all depending on which one you know the best. Get to know God And every choice of life, you're like, I'm going with the one that I trust. That's him. That only happens as you behold the beauty of his glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Let me encourage you, maybe a start this week is in that meditation handout. Um, There is a section um, toward the end. And this is not original to me. This was uh, a friend of mine. And uh, some of you, many of you may even know Marty Collier, Ken Collier, her husband, spoke last fall for our fall kickoff. Um, 
but she has really helped in this idea of building a biography of God. And um, basically the idea is, if you, if you say, I've, re- I've never really done this, like read the Bible and then meditate on it a whole lot, then just start with the Psalms. Open the Psalm 1 and start reading and ask yourself a really simple question. What do I know about my God? What does Psalm 1 reveal to me about my God? What does he love? What does he, what does he hate? What does he like? What are his plans? What are his purposes? And as you ask these questions, as you read, you write them down. My God is this. My God loves this. My God desires this. And what are you doing? You're, you're building a biography. You're, you're just meditating, filling your mind with the truth of who God is and what he is like. If you've never done it before, that's a great tool and a way to, a simple way to start beholding the glory of God in his word. And then as you move into other parts of scripture, you can, even reading Old Testament stories, what's it all about? It's about God. So ask the question, what does this reveal to me about, about my God? And write that down and use that as a source of meditation throughout the day. Rejoice in it. Worship God for it. Pray about it, that God would change your heart as a result of it. Tell people about it. Celebrate the wonders of who he is. And as you meditate on the glory of the Lord, you will be transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to another. Next week, we'll talk about how the Spirit does that work in our hearts through illumination. All right? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you've given us your word. You've revealed yourself to us. And that through Christ, you've removed the blinders that we can have true spiritual understanding. And so we pray that you would uh, help us to get into your word and help us to be those that think and meditate on it day and night. That you would deepen the roots of our life into who you are and what you are like and change us, we pray. For your glory, in Christ's name, amen.